The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who died, and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I did not know him, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Are you afraid of death? Google believes that most of us are. A couple uh, months back, I was at my desk, um, and uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my chest hurt like it has never hurt before. And, and many times in my life, I've had, I've had chest pain, and there's that fleeting thought, like, is that a heart attack? Um, and you, you Google it real quick, and you're like, yeah, I think I'm okay. This time... This, yeah, what did they do before Google? I don't know. Um, this time was different for me. This pain was, was very different. I think I was even kind of in shock, and, and, and I just didn't know what was happening or what to do. And um, probably within a minute or so of first feeling this, uh, someone came in my office, and they could tell something was wrong. And they asked me, and, and it kind of snapped me too. And, Anyway, I said what was wrong, and, and, and I kind of ended the conversation. I said, I'm going to call a nurse, or not a nurse, but the nurse line. Um, so I, I call the nurse line, and as soon as you say I'm having chest pains and you can't breathe, um, uh, I mean, obviously, to some degree, I could breathe, otherwise I couldn't talk. Uh, they very quickly uh, realize that's out of their pay grade, and they get you to a doctor, right? Not to a doctor, but a doctor's on the phone immediately. I'm talking to the doctor, and probably within the first 20 seconds, he, he says, uh, you need, can you drive yourself to the hospital? You need to go to the hospital. And, and I, I couldn't believe it. I, I said, are you serious? And the guy says to me, he says, sir, at your age, and let's just take a time out right there. <laughs> it's amazing that you can contemplate death and at the same time be totally offended that someone just said, at your age. Part of why I was offended was I could tell this man on the phone was much older than me. <laughs> I didn't argue with him, though. I, I said, okay, so I can drive myself. And he says, if you think you can, that's the best thing to do. So I jump in my car, and, and, and I'm driving to the hospital. And I, I just can't believe that maybe I'm having a heart attack. And there's a part of me that's like, there's no way. But I'm also nervous. Um, I, I call my wife. Um, and and I, I, as soon as she answers the phone, like, I just start tearing up. And, and I'm thinking, man, is this, 
Okay, am I about to possibly say goodbye to my wife? My kids are in school. It's like, I'm not going to be able to say goodbye to my kids. I'm getting emotional now thinking about it. You know, long story short, I get to the hospital. Um, they do all these tests, and I'm fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with me. It hurt really bad, uh, and it was really scary. I, th- I think they, their best guess was like a esophageal spasm, something like that. So I know what that's like. If, if, if you get bad chest pains, you don't have to Google it. Call me, and I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll compare notes. Um, but uh, death, death can, be, can be scary. Um, I, I have, I've known a couple people uh, that, that I would call them adrenaline junkies, and it seems like they're not afraid of death at all. It seems like they flirt with death, they mock death, they walk away. Um, the rest of us are staying alive junkies, right? Like we do everything we can to keep death at, at a distance. I was hiking a couple weeks ago, and I looked over a, a high cliff, um, got as close as I was comfortable, and even then my stomach dropped, and it wasn't, it wasn't that I was afraid of the height, it was afraid of the dying that scared me. Uh, R.C. Sproul said, uh, or used to say, uh, he wasn't afraid of death, he was, he was afraid of, of dying. And I think Christians, what he says rings true. Um, we will die, but, but we, we have nothing to fear in death. Now, dying itself might be scary. That, that part might be horrible, but, but we have nothing to fear in death if we trust Jesus. Our truth statement for the, today is only those who honor Jesus as God and keep his word will never taste or see death. John chapter 8, has been a, it's been a hard chapter. I mean, Jesus is, is getting hit left and right. He, he's being verbally assaulted all over the place by, by this crowd, predominantly of Jewish people. And yet Jesus continues to clarify his words. He wants them to know the truth about him, the truth about the Father, the truth about salvation. He, he, he wants them to have life. And, and he, John brings this, this section to a close with, with this climax as Jesus makes a very, very clear claim to deity, that, that he is, in fact, God. So let's start in verse 48. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So their theological arguments have, have really fallen apart, uh, and they've now resorted just to personal attacks. And we all know people that when they get in an argument, even when they know they're wrong, they won't admit defeat. Right? And, and, and the, the ammo of logic has been spent, so now they'll just pick up anything and load it in. So they're, they're flinging insults, they're, they're name-calling. And, and that's, I think that's part of what's going on here. They, they call him a Samaritan, and if you remember back in chapter 4, we talked about the Samaritans that the, the Jews hated. They despised the Samaritans. They viewed them as half-breeds because centuries before, uh, the Samaritans intermarried with the pagans. They hated that that they they didn't accept the Hebrew Bible. They pick and chose their their parts of what they called Scripture. They made their own place of worship. So the Jews, they did not think highly of the Samaritans. When when they called Jesus a Samaritan, it's akin to a racial slur. And it's possible that maybe they questioned. Um, We know that, that, that they wondered, okay, your mom got pregnant somehow. We, we don't know how that happened. It's not, it's not very clear to us. The story doesn't line up. Maybe, maybe it's a secret because it was by a Samaritan man. 
Or, or maybe it was that Jesus questioned who their father was, so they assumed that, that he was siding with the half-breed Samaritans. Whatever the case, they, they made this accusation. They also accused him of, of being possessed by a demon. And this is, this is an accusation that we see in the Gospels. We're much more familiar with this one. And so perhaps they thought that only a demon-possessed person would, would question the paternity of a fellow Jew, as Jesus did. But they're, they're frustrated by Jesus' message. They're, they're frustrated by the truth that Jesus has told them in a variety of ways. They can't hear, they can't take in his words because they refuse to. Verse 49, he says, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. He, he skips right over the Samaritan comment, denies having a demon. I was trying to think of what's the 2018 equivalent to, to being told you have a demon. And I think it's probably you, you're crazy. You're crazy. And maybe it's you're crazy for believing in God. Maybe it's you're crazy to believe that Jesus was really from God, or, or you're crazy to believe that Jesus died and, and rose from the dead. And I, I think for many of us in the back of our minds, we're, we're fearful of that, at least from people that we really care about or, or we respect. But it's amazing to me that Jesus doesn't stoop to their level. All right, he, he responds in truth. He responds with what they need to know. His ultimate concern is God being glorified. He, he wants them to have life in and through him. So Jesus says, I don't have a demon. I honor the Father. I glorify the Father. He doesn't say this, but, but a demon would not glorify God. That, that would not be demon-like behavior. Demon-like behavior is actually dishonoring Jesus because he is God. And Jesus honors the Father by, by being obedient. This has been really clear in the Gospel of John, that, that everything Jesus does is right in step with the desires of the Father. Right? The life of Jesus is obviously the opposite uh, of the life of, of a demon-possessed person. Jesus knows where honor is due, and he gives it to the Father, and the crowd has no idea the honor that Jesus is worthy of. They continue to reject him, they continue to dishonor him. They dishonor Jesus and the Father by denying his words, by denying what he's teaching. And by dishonoring Jesus, they pit themselves against the Father. They're lining up in opposition to the Father. Matt, our youth pastor, who's not here this weekend, he's out of town, he played uh, some high school football at uh, David Douglas High School in Portland. And um, he, he had to line up every once in a while against this guy, and I don't remember his name, um, partially because it's a really long, hard name. Uh, but this guy was a man-child as a freshman. And um, he ended up going uh, to play full scholarship at UCLA. I believe he even made it into the NFL. And everyone hated it when they had to go one-on-one -on -one against this guy because he tore him up. Seniors hated going against this freshman that had muscles that looked like they were jumping out of his muscles. He was, he was just a physical specimen. And here, when they dishonor Jesus, they're lining up in opposition to the Father. They're saying, let's, let's do this. Let's go one-on-one, -on -one, mano a mano. Verse 50 Jesus says, yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And if anyone had right to seek their own glory, it's Jesus. Yet he didn't do that. And we'll see in a few verses why. 
But he says, I, I don't have to seek my own glory because there's one who does. God the Father glorifies Jesus. He gives him the glory that is due him. Jesus didn't need to stick up for himself because, as, as one pastor said, the Father is passionate about glorifying the Son. He loves to glorify Jesus. So Jesus pursues the glory that's from God. He wants these people to believe. He wants them to have life. His concern is, is God's glory. I tend to be satisfied with glory from man. We seek the approval of man. As a Christ follower, we need to long for the glory of God. Do we, do we long to see Jesus glorified? Do we long to see God glorified by, by more and more people becoming worshipers of the true God? Jesus says, the one who does seek his glory, he's the judge. They don't understand that when they dishonor Jesus, they will be judged for that. And this should be sobering news to the crowds. It should have stopped them in their tracks, because Jesus is sending out a warning here. right? He, warning, judgment is coming. God's wrath is on all who do not come to him to be saved from sin. God's the judge. And I think part of what we don't understand is how different God is from us. And I've heard people say statements like, if God is like this, fill in the blank, then I, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And I cringe when I hear a, a person make a statement like they can judge God. All we know are human judges, right? And we know judges are, are flawed. E even the best judge is flawed. And yet we, we don't compare at all to God. There is no comparison. There's a song, um, and I love this, this lyric. It says, how do I dare approach this holy one? I love the trepidation there in, in recognizing how awesome God is. First Timothy 6.16, describing Jesus, says, Who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. This is who God is. God is nothing like us. Jesus is nothing like us. I think Jesus will hear phrases over and over again when people do meet him face to face. And I mean, when Christians meet him face to face, I think a lot of us, maybe all of us will say, I'm sorry, I had no idea how incredible you are. I didn't know. So what God judges, how he thinks about you, what he thinks of you is of the utmost importance. Everything else is immaterial. What my coworkers think, my, my wife, my kids, my neighbors, my brother, my friends, those all hold weight compared to one another, but nothing at all compared to what God thinks. If you're on trial, the court of opinion does not matter. It's the judge that declares you innocent or guilty. That's what matters. So when Jesus mentions the one who gives him glory is the judge, it's, it's this warning. He's saying there is still time to reconsider. Because God's heart is to save. I hope you've seen that in John. God's, God's heart is clearly to save, not, not to condemn. John 3, 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the, wor <clears throat> condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus is gathering people to himself. He wants to save. The Father's bringing glory to himself by saving people 
through Jesus' death and resurrection. 2 Peter 3.9 might be a familiar passage to you. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, right? To turn from sin and turn to Jesus. God wants everyone to turn to him. God wants everyone to repent from sin and turn to Christ. Verse 10, the next verse, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God will not wait forever. As patient as he is, judgment will come. There will come a time when there is not an opportunity to repent. So when Jesus says to the crowds, the one who glorifies him is the judge, it should have caused them to consider what if Jesus is speaking the truth. It should cause us to consider who is the judge. I can't remember who said this, but someone talking about the day that they would see God face to face, they said, I want to meet my Savior, not my judge. Your response to Jesus determines if he's your Savior or your judge. Will you honor Jesus as Lord? Will you reject him? Will you dishonor him like like the crowds in John 8? Verse 51 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, right, the, the whole message of Jesus, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. If anyone keeps my word, not, not lip service, not an amen, but actually believing and obeying God's word, the whole of it, is God's word precious to you? Pastor Gary this week, I was talking to him, he was reading Psalm 119 this week in, in his devotions. And Psalm 119, if you don't know, the, the psalm, he just goes off about how great God's word is. I mean, the, the psalmist just treasures God's word. He just cannot get enough of it. Man, do we love God's word like that? Spend some time in Psalm 119 this week. Compare notes w- with the psalmist. Anyway, so to these people who mock Jesus, he's making this offer over and over again. I would have bailed long ago on them, but Jesus, he says to them an incredible statement, anyone who keeps my word will never see death. He's going to the cross. He's going to die a torturous death so that salvation could be available for anyone who believe, including the very people who in this moment are hurling insults at him. He's saying, you do not have to die in your sin. You can have life forever. The statement, you'll never see death, it, it, it's remarkable, and, and it's, it's also a little confusing. Right? Later, the crowd says the word taste death. Instead of see death, like Jesus said, they, they say taste death, and Jesus doesn't seem to disagree with that. He, he says, the one who, who keeps his word will never taste, will never see death. But what does this mean? Because we will all die. You're going to die. I'm going to die at some point. So how is it? that if we keep his word, we will not see death. John 11, verses 25 and 26, this is um, when Lazarus died. Jesus is talking to his sister. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I don't know if that clears things up much. John 5, 24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life 
He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. That the one who keeps Jesus' word, who believes, who obeys, will not come into judgment. They pass from death to life. I don't know if you remember Monopoly and the community chest card that says go to jail, right? Do, go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This is very much the opposite of that. This is Passover death. Do not receive the judgment you deserve because Jesus paid your ransom. Go directly to eternal fellowship with God, your unending, perfect relationship with your Creator. Right? Physical death is really a continuation into it, eternal life. There's no break. Though your body will die, your eternal life doesn't miss a beat. In that moment, Hebrews tells us your, your, your sanctification will be perfected. There will be no end to eternal life. Jesus has made it so, right? It's called eternal life. There, there's, there's not a beat that is missed. You'll enjoy fellowship with God, and it will be better than we can imagine. It will be without end. And, and I, I think that, that some of us, maybe even all of us, sometimes when we think about eternity, we wonder, what are we going to do forever? And we, we think incorrectly about eternity the same time, I know all of us have, have either read a book or a movie, and it's coming to the end, and you don't want it to end, right? We, we don't want this great story to end. Man, I think that's a part of eternity being written in our hearts. We were made to live forever with Jesus. We were not made to have eternal death, but eternal life in Christ. So Jesus makes this promise, and it's unlike any other promise ever. The one who keeps his word they will not see death. They will only know life. The one who does not keep the word, whether it's a flat-out rejection like these crowds or, or someone that pays lip service to Jesus but nothing more, they will only taste death. They will know death intimately and for all of eternity. As a believer, the, the fear of dying is, is, is sensible, but the fear of death really makes no sense at all. Verse 52, the Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Which when I read that earlier, I heard the person that said, yes, good job. Um, uh, are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets that died, who do you make yourself out to be? So they frame this question, are you greater? And they believe the answer is a resounding no. You're not greater. And the truth is, it's an emphatic yes. Jesus is much greater. It's not even close. And if you don't know, which, if you don't know Jesus, I wish I could describe to you how great he is. They, 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 propose, or they presupposed that they knew the extent of Jesus' greatness. They thought they were accurate in their assessment of Jesus. If you do not believe in Jesus, be careful. I encourage you, look long and hard at Christ, at the claims of Christ, at what Scripture says. Go through your reasons for not believing in Jesus and make sure you're right before you set your mind about who Jesus is. If you do believe in Jesus, look longer and harder because he's much greater than we will ever realize. I keep saying this, but I've just been thinking all week about standing before God someday. And, and 
and, and all the things that I'm even right about with Jesus, right? Because there's things I'm definitely wrong about, things theologically that I think I'm spot on, and I'm going to go, whoop, wrong about that one. Um, but, but even the things that, that I'm right about, we're going to be blown away by how much greater Jesus is. And I wonder if it'll be like when my toddler brings me a picture and, and, and I think, oh, that's so cute. Even though I can't, she tells me it's me and I have no idea that that's a human being. But, but I see her attempt and that's so cute. And I wonder in my theology, all of that thought, all these lofty ideas I have about God, when I see how awesome he truly is, will it be like that? Greg, that was, that was cute. That was a good try <laughs> in your human limitedness. Because God is, is so much greater. Now, these men and their accusations, they aren't totally wrong about what they're saying. Like, Abraham did die. These, the prophets did die. Great, godly men. They're, they're saying everyone faces death. They're, they're right on about that. For Jesus to do what he is saying, it's impossible. Right? It would take a power way beyond that of any man. So they're, they're correct in that thinking. So Jesus is either, he's either crazy this crazy blasphemer that believes he's God, or he really is God. Verse 53 ends with, who do you make yourself out to be? And we'll get to that in a few verses here. But verse 54, he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. He knows that if he were to glorify himself, it'd be worth nothing. But he says, it's, it's, it's God the Father who does it. It's, it is with great irony that Jesus tells them that the very ones that the very one that they claim is their God that's who glorifies him and, and, and I get it because Jesus he, he wasn't publicly glorified as as they expected the Messiah to be glorified and, and who would expect Jesus to be glorified through through death right through death on a cross but Jesus was he was glorified through his death through his resurrection there's ascension to be with the Father. God glorified Christ in that way. Verse 55, but you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. So the Jews, with sincerity, they believe they know God. Jesus is, is the one who knows God. He was the one at the Father's side. Jesus says, I, I keep his word. He's saying, I keep in accordance with what God has revealed. Earlier in chapter 8, verse 29, he says, I always do. I always do what pleases him. He always does it. And in John, there's, there's no separation between knowing God and, and obeying God. The two go hand in hand. In, in the prophets, some of the Bible read through people. You might remember this as we were in the prophets. Multiple occasions, God's, God used the prophets to say, to God's own people, you think you know God, but you don't. Jesus is saying that same thing again. This, is, this isn't new. He's saying, you think you know God, but you don't. I know God. Jeremiah 31, 34, he speaks of a day when, when God's people would know him. Verse 56, it says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. This is, this is a little confusing because Jesus doesn't explain what he means here. Uh, how is it that Abraham could rejoice at seeing Jesus' day? Um, there, there are a bunch of 
theories, right? Commentators, pastors kind of go crazy with maybe it's this, maybe it's that. Some people think that maybe from paradise, Abraham's down looking in on Jesus in that moment and seeing it come to fruition, that, that Jesus did come in the flesh. The problem is it, it's worded in the past tense, so it doesn't make sense there. It says that Abraham rejoiced, so there's no way it could, could be happening in that moment. Some people think that maybe God gave, gave Abraham a vision of the day when Jesus would come. Perhaps that's true. Others connect it to the, the promise of the impossible son that, that he had, Isaac, and, and that through that promise he, he connected that, that there would be another promised son that, that would deliver, that would be the sacrifice. So we, we don't get the details of how Abraham knew or, or exactly what he knew. We just know that he rejoiced. We know that, that, that Jesus is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of, of Abraham's hopes and joys. And the, the Jews freak out over him saying, my day. And Jesus says, my day. He's, he's certainly referring to him coming in the flesh. It's certainly referring to what, what is coming in his death and resurrection. But Abraham knew that God would uphold his covenant promise. He, as uh, Alex shared earlier in Genesis 12, God promised, I'm going to bless all the nations through you, Abraham. Last week, we had a, a, one of our missionaries here, David. He talked about that very same thing. And he said, everyone needs to know. All the nations are to be blessed by knowing about Jesus. Right? Everyone needs to hear that Jesus came and lived and died for our sin, that he defeated death. And he offers eternal life. And, and, and David was right about this as well. He said the church is the vehicle for that. That, that we're, we're the vehicle empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell everyone the good news about Jesus. So we don't know how, but Abraham, he knew something. And he delighted that God would do exactly what he had promised in Jesus. Verse 57. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham now, we know from Luke, Jesus was about 30. So they aren't saying to him, you know, you're 48. You're almost 50. They're, 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 saying, they're saying, Abraham's been dead for 2,000 years. You're not old. How in the world have you, have you seen Abraham? They're telling him, you're out of your mind. Verse 58, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And he's not just saying, I existed before Abraham He's saying, I am God. There are a lot of people that, that say Jesus never claimed deity. I think this is a very, very clear time where, no, Jesus definitely said, I am God. And, and part of that, too, is how the crowd took it, which we'll get to that in a moment. But if he just wanted to say, I existed before Abraham, he would have said, before Abraham was, I was. But, but that's not what he says. And, and the crowd, when they hear him say, I am, it, it takes them back to Exodus 3, right? When, when, when God identifies himself, I am who I am. He says, say to this people, I am sent me to you. So they know exactly what he's saying here, which is why they do what they do in verse 59. They picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So they're, they're livid, right? And, and the, the penalty prescribed in Leviticus for a blasphemer is to stone them. You throw stones at them until they die. Now, this isn't supposed to be 
like mob violence, right? There's supposed to be an actual process here. Um, but, but they knew, there was no mistake in their minds that Jesus is saying, no, I'm God, right? I am God, I'm the one that offers life. It says he, he hid himself. Some scholars think a, a better translation might be was hidden, and I, I'm not sure um, wh- whether he hid himself or, or, or the Father hid him. Um, Jesus left in that moment. I would have left way, way sooner than that. I, I know that's funny. I didn't mean that to be funny. I am a coward, but that's not what I mean. Um, Jesus, you can just feel he wants them to know the truth. He just wants them to have life. He doesn't want them to continue in sin. He doesn't want them to continue in darkness. So he holds out as long as possible until they're ready to kill him. And he leaves them because his hour has not come yet. But that, he just wants them to leave disbelief and to have life. It amazes me that he would do that. Verse 51 says, If anyone keeps my word, he'll never see death. Now, those who, who give their devotion to Jesus, everything to Jesus, They will not taste death. They will not see death. They will only know life, and that's a promise that we can bank on. Jesus did everything necessary to make life available to us. The question is, will you take it? Let's pray together. Jesus, we can't can't describe how good you are. We try to describe how how vast your love is. I, I try to think of ways to, to explain how incredible you are, Lord, but even if I was a wordsmith with, with English, I, I couldn't do it, Lord. My brain can't comprehend how great you are, God. Jesus, I thank you that you came to, to point us to the Father, to show us the Father. I thank you that you came so that we don't have to sit here dead in our sin. You, you came so that we could have life. Lord, I, I pray that that's exactly what we would have, Lord, that, that we would trust in you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone that has doubts about you, Jesus, and, and doubts are, are totally normal, God. But I pray for them, Lord, that, that if there's anything in the way, that you would help eradicate those things, Lord. Whatever the barrier is, that, that you would get rid of that barrier for them, you, that you would help them around that barrier, through that barrier, whatever. Jesus, would you help us to trust in you, Lord? It's in your name we pray. Amen.